What if there was a different way to live and work beyond the hustle and hype, beyond the never ending race to get more, do more, be more, a way that's nourishing, grounded, creative, and aligned with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Alchemy in Action with me, your host, Amanda Cook. In each episode, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. You know, I just love hearing how people structure their lives. Um, This year, I'm really big into the idea of freedom and flexibility and how that's a conscious choice. So you can start to make choices even in the beginning of your business to bring yourself to more freedom and flexibility based on what that means for you. Because like we talked in the first episode of season four, it's really free. The meaning of freedom is customized completely to what you want, your dreams, your stage of life, your circumstances, so you can really make it your own. And this week's guest does not disappoint. I'm speaking with Della May Devi, who is a yoga teacher and a digital nomad. And for the past nine years, she's been following the sun. So she hasn't had a winter in nine years. She and her husband moved to various locations in the world where she teaches yoga. She does teacher training, uh, mentorship, and also runs retreats. Now, I know the idea of running retreats is a dream for so many of you, but it can feel a bit daunting on how you're going to pull it together. So with Delame, we're definitely talking about retreat planning in detail and just this idea of how she's designed her life and her business to really fit her own ideas of freedom. Something else I really took away from this interview is a sense of alignment and how you can't just model your business based on what everyone else is doing, but you can really model and create and intentionally set the boundaries and shape of your business based on what's authentically you. And Delame really embodies that. And I think if that topic resonates for you, you're really going to enjoy this interview. Now, I'd love to talk with you about this interview. Don't forget that we've got the Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. It's a totally promo-free zone. There's over 4,000 wellness entrepreneurs in there. And I'd love to jump in there with you and talk about this week's episode, answer any questions, and help you to find other wellness entrepreneurs that have this dream of freedom and flexibility. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Wellpreneur Community. Also, you want to make sure you're on my email list if you're not, because I email about once a week with a roundup of the latest podcasts and the best discussions from that community group and articles from around the web that I think are really relevant to you as a wellness entrepreneur. So you can sign up there on my website at wellpreneuronline.com. Okay, now let's get into this interview with LMA Debbie. Hi, Delame. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us where you are right now. Right now, I am in Ibiza in Spain, in the Balearic Islands, preparing for my retreat, which is happening next month. And I've been quite fortunate to be here for about the last six weeks or so, preparing for my retreat and also because I tend to travel and teach a lot internationally, I have the amazing opportunity to spend as much time as I like or as much time as I feel called to in different places. And I tend to return to this magical island 
annually for at least a month or two. I find the Mediterranean lifestyle really suits me. And it's, um, yeah, a great place to kind of work from and base myself from and to, to soak up the, um, the summer vibes here. Mm, yeah, it's funny. I always, you know, I live in London, as you know, and the reputation mm. of Ibiza is like huge party central. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have heard from people that it's not all like that. <laughs> you, can, you can escape that part. Oh, you can, for sure, for sure. And I think in the last 10 years or so, there's been uh, quite a large influx of um, yoga teachers coming here and bringing their groups and opening up retreat centers and studios. And there is definitely the party side of the island, which I don't think will ever change. But because there is so much beauty here and like a tranquility and a peacefulness, which you don't necessarily get in other Spanish islands um, or in the Balearic Islands, it's um, yeah, it's a real draw card for people to come and to unplug and to experience the very opposite side of the island. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad you could come on the podcast because it feels especially timely because there's been so much conversation recently in our Facebook community about retreats. And I know that's a dream for so many people listening to the podcast, especially as they leave their, maybe leave their day jobs and move full time to work into wellness. They really dream of running retreats. And I know that's something that you've really integrated in quite a big way into your own business. So I'd love to talk about that later, you know, later on in the interview. But why don't we get started for people that aren't familiar with you? Why don't you just tell us what it is that you do? Paint a picture of your business and life for us. Mm, I would love to. So yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. I travel internationally. I follow the sun. I haven't had a winter in nine years now. Um, I offer retreats, trainings, and workshops. I also have an online mentorship program where I support teachers, entrepreneurs, lovers of life at different stages of their path. I also have an online shop where I sell my jewelry and clothing that I design and have made in Bali. And yeah, I have many, many different projects on the go at once. And it seems to suit my creative mind. And before, prior to starting this business, um, Mm -hmm. you were in dance. Is that right? Yeah, my background is in dance. So I've always been a lover of embodied movement, self-expression, choreographing shows, performances, um, and really working as a group within the performing arts field. How would you describe whether your business is in person or online or kind of what the blend of that is for you? (laughs) Good question. Um, I'm still in the last probably three years or so, I'm still really getting comfortable with the fact that my passion is now my business. And so I feel a lot of what I do is very much connected to my path here on the planet. And so it's very much me all in, but then I have different pathways which are very much connected to me, but I see more as, um, not necessarily as a sideline, but just as like an add-on, like a nice to have. Ooh, can you talk more about that? I'm curious. Like, (laughs) what do you mean? How are the different pathways connected to you, but not, yeah. 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 I guess, um, you know, if I, if I could multiply myself into like three or four other people, then it would be the whole of me. I think being a, a creative person, and I'm sure you have a lot of highly creative individuals that listen to to your podcast, 
It's, you know, we often think that there's never enough hours in the day. We often think that, you know, we could use an extra pair of arms <laughs> to do all the things that we want to do. And so I find, you know, I'm very much connected to my embodiment practices, but then my jewelry and the clothing is, is something that, you know, I've always felt like I would love to pour more time and energy into. But for now, it's a sideline project. Mm, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that really in the past three years, you've started to feel like your work is you're now getting paid or your your business is also what you're meant to do on the planet. So I'm curious, could you talk a bit about that transition? Because I know that's, I think that's something that a lot of readers play with or struggle with sometimes is, you know, how much, how much to do what you think is logical in your business and how much to just pour yourself into it and have yourself be your business. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. And it's, um, yeah, a really interesting one to ponder. I mean, I've been on this path now and sustaining myself, you know, getting paid for, for more than 10 years now, but I've, I've never really labeled it as a business. Um, it's always been so innately connected to what is resonating and vibrating in my heart. You know, it's like that passion, that passion and that drive. And I'm, I'm a very passionate person. And so for me not to listen to that inner calling of doing what I love would just be a detriment to, to myself. <laughs> um, and so I find working with other business coaches and speaking to my own mentors and really um, grounding into the fact of, okay, this is my business. This is what is labeled as business. Okay, there's transactions, there's, um, you know, you have a strategy with how you put yourself out there. There's a way of staying connected to your message, if you like, your intention, but at the same time, knowing who you're wanting to connect with, in essence, who is your target audience. But at the same time, continuing to check in of like, okay, is this still part of my business plan, if you like, my story, my journey? And how I am wanting to present myself to the world, to your tribe, to your network, to your community. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. It's a tough one for sure. And especially with the rise of social media and there, you know, so many different platforms of communication where anyone can be someone. Yeah, which is wonderful. But I find for people that are just starting out, that can also be a little overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. there's so much... You know, the whole comparison thing, especially in yoga. Oh my gosh, you just, you know, everyone doing these like perfect yoga poses in like in this gorgeous location. I think people can feel like, well, that's what you have to do to be a yoga teacher. Mm. I think it can be quite intimidating for people and limiting. Very much so, very much so. And then they come up with excuses of like, oh, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. Um, Like, well, actually, that's the best time. But yeah, people, you know, I do come across um, just in my mentorship program, people suffering from a lot of anxiety and a lot of just really comparing themselves to to these amazing, gorgeous, you know, photos that are online doing perfect handstands and really deep backbends in beautiful locations. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it, I, I found that it has increased um, people's, yeah, just their negative story towards themselves. Mm. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think that's happened, you know, not just in the yoga and wellness world, mm. but kind of in general, unfortunately, with social media, I think it has 
unless you really have a, a way to rein it in, it really has the ability to make you feel negative about a lot of parts of your life. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like instant comparison with this perfectly filtered feed. Mm, so many triggers all day, every day. It's Yeah. It's, How do you um, manage social media in your own life? Like not just for your business, but just for you personally. Is it something you use? Do you put boundaries around it? Yeah, I mean, I, I love social media. I love what it does. I love how it's really made um, connection between so many different communities. You know, the the world isn't such a big place when you start branching out into social media. Um, I definitely have boundaries. I definitely have a love-hate relationship with it, saying that. I think there's a time and a place for social media. I personally believe that you really got to have your own kind of guidelines around how you use it and how it uses you as well. For example, when I decided to sign up with Facebook for the first time, it was like 2008 or something like that. And I purely did it to stay connected to my community of yoga teachers and yoga students. And I knew right from the beginning, that would be it. That would be my only intention for using that. And to this day, I'm still very much in that field of thought. I don't post photos of my husband and I. We go out for dinner for our anniversary. I rarely will post a photo announcing that. I keep very much family and personal life offline as much as possible. But I'm also quite a shy person. (laughs) So for me, that is a lot. That's a lot of myself to put out there, which, you know, I don't really feel that the rest of the world needs to know about. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned something earlier that you bring your full self into your business, but it took you a while to realize that that was actually a business and to just accept this is business and there are transactions and sales and Mm. and all of that stuff. I'm wondering, did you find you had resistance around that? Oh, yeah, in a big way. Definitely. Definitely. And being um, so passionate about something, we, I remember, you know, just wanting to say yes to everything. It's like, oh, would you teach her? Yes. Oh, would you do that? Would you cover this for me? Yes. Oh, would you help that person? Yes. You know, I, I really became like this yes person. And then I found, then I realized I'm just kind of witnessing that. Like I remember having a whole year of just saying yes to everything, <laughs> um, which was amazing because that's so many incredible experiences and opportunities and invitations. And then at the end of the year, I was kind of like, okay, let's get practical about this and see the the finances around that, see, you know, how far I stretched myself. And it was like, okay, realistically, if I was to continue to be that yes person, I wouldn't be able to take care of my basic needs. And so really staying connected to my, you know, having a level of integrity for my work really was a big turning point for me. And also acknowledging that, you know, by myself putting a certain price on my value, that is also supporting others in the, in the similar field of work, because, you know, we all want to thrive and to be able to live our work in the world easily. But, you know, there has to be some sort of an energy exchange with that. And in this day and age, it, it's, you know, money talks ultimately. And so it's being able to be comfortable with with knowing your worth and asking your price. And if they turn around and say no, then that's okay, you know. But if they turn around and say yes, that's awesome, you know. That's one big tick for you and also for the people that follow in your path. Mm-hmm. I noticed on your website for your retreats or your mentorship, for example, that instead of saying price or cost or investment, you say exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about that. Deciding to use that word. 
<laughs> uh, well, for me, it's always been about an exchange. Yeah, I, I do like investment as well, because essentially you are inviting that person to invest in themselves as they sign up to your retreat, your workshop, your training, whatever. And, you know, investment is nice, but I am price. I don't know, just the feeling state that the word price um, creates in my body, if that makes sense. It doesn't feel as sweet, doesn't feel as loving, it doesn't feel as generous. This is just personally. Um, but I find the word, you know, um, exchange is like, it's, it's purely what it is. You know, it's an exchange of energy. It's an exchange for my time, for your time. Um, it's an exchange of expertise and advice and support. And for me, that feels a lot better than price. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I'd never seen, because I definitely have seen investment as the alternative, mm. but I've never seen exchange before. And I thought it does it. You see it and you pause and it does make you think, I don't know, it, sh it does shift the energy around it, actually. Mm -hmm. It's not just saying, mm -hmm. oh, she's just selling this thing. It's like, oh, this is what I give and this is what she gives. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice. Maybe we'll start seeing more of that. That's really nice. Yeah. Okay. I really want to talk to you about retreats. So okay. when did you run your first retreat? And I'm curious, like, as a, you know, for your first time running a retreat, like, what were some of the concerns and fears and things that came up for you? Mm, yeah, well, I, I've run it through, I've run a few collaborative retreats before, um, just to kind of get myself going and to, to learn from others and to understand a little bit more about the background without throwing myself into the deep end. And so that started, I believe, in 2004. I think I ran my first collaborative retreat. Um, it was in a beautiful location in Turkey. And I found it was, a really um, insightful way to to understand the beginning of creating the retreat, doing the advertising, promoting it, talking to people about it, to actually running it and being there hands-on and communicating with the staff and the location, the local people, the practicalities of doing the transfers, and then the post-retreat work as well, you know, because once you go away on this beautiful retreat this holiday with an amazing group of people you know the work just doesn't end there when everyone leaves right there's a lot of kind of follow-up work to do and so that for me was really insightful and I'm really happy and thankful that I was able to collaborate with others before launching myself out in there out in the world of retreats and then as well you know there wasn't as much choice as what there is now and so when I started going or offering retreats on my own, that was once again quite a turning point because I had so much hesitation around, you know, why why are people going to come and spend a week with me in this location? Are they really going to pay that much to to go to spend or to book, you know, like their one week holiday that they have a year that's going to be away from their family, away from their kids potentially, and to spend, you know, time with me? Who am I to offer this? Yeah. And so, yeah, of course, you know, I was faced with, with all these questions and with all these doubts and with all these fears and hesitations. And But once again, for me, I came back to that inner spark, that, that passion, that drive, that, you know, knowing that this is part of my purpose and really feeling that strong calling of like, just do it, you know, like you have nothing to lose. It's just like, just trust and believe, you know, believe in yourself. It's like you, you will, you will know when the time is right to go on that path and you'll know when 
you know, when, when your community is ready for you to start creating those transformational holidays and retreats and times together. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fantastic suggestion to start, if you're interested in retreats, to start by doing a collaborative one. So it's not mm-hmm. just you responsible for everything, right? And mm-hmm. you know, Because I know even, I've not run a retreat on my own, but I do a lot of workshops and there's being in the role of teaching and facilitating a workshop versus being in the admin role of like actually making sure that the logistics are working is like two totally different energies and trying to do both at the same time, I don't think is even possible. <laughs> actually, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, as, as you're saying, if doing workshops is awesome, you know, cause you've got like, you know, a whole day or three hours or half a day or however long, of that concentrated amount of time with, with people that want to learn from you, with people that are, are willing to to spend that much time with you and to have that exchange with you and to, you know, add more tools to their tool bag and to really get to know you as well in, in your field of work, you know, in your genius zone. And yeah, I mean, I, I love workshops. I've been teaching workshops for many years and it, you know, you are right in saying that a, re- a retreat itself can just be kind of like a, a long, prolonged workshop. <laughs> I'm curious um, about, you know, if somebody's interested in doing a collaborative workshop, do you have advice around how to pick who to collaborate with? You know, like, how do you pick the person that's going to complement your skills or I don't know, just kind of any intuitive advice based on what you've experienced yourself at good collaborations on retreats? Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you really want to have a harmonious relationship between you. You really want your work to be a great balance as well. So I wouldn't recommend teaming up with another yoga teacher, for example. I mean, you you know, there are benefits of doing that as well, because maybe one of your strengths is, you know, more of a power vinyasa style. And maybe, you know, the other strength is more of a yin restorative lunar kind of practice, you know, and that would be beautiful. So I would really look at the dynamics that both of you bring as a unit, as like a whole unit together. Um, But what I've found makes it quite interesting for, for people that come and can be also another draw card is, for example, teaming up with someone who, like if you're a yoga teacher, maybe teaming up with someone who, who is a coach or a hypnotherapist um, or a nutritionalist, um, something that's really going to complement the, the theme of your week that you're planning, perhaps the location that you're going to as well. And to be able to create like a a full, inspirational, supportive, nourishing package for your tribe. And that way it will be quite, you know, people in, say, your your friends list, they'll want to come because they know, oh, they get, you know, so many coaching hours with with this coach and then people in in your network you know the yogis will be like oh great you know I get to practice twice a day with with my wonderful and favorite teacher in this beautiful location plus you know I get some coaching alongside that and so yeah just finding those complementary relationships and having also really clear boundaries around who's in charge of what from the beginning is is going to save so much hassle and so much yeah, confusion and disappointment in the long run, just talking from personal experience. <laughs> so one of the big anxieties that I know people have around running a retreat is who's going to come? How am I going to promote it? What if nobody shows up, you know, like having a party and no one shows up? It's like that, but even worse because you've, <laughs> you've reserved the space. So yeah. I'm wondering if you can share some experience or advice around what you found useful for actually promoting your retreats. 
people mm. to join? Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. Um, I think first and foremost, it's really good to do your research, you know, put together a little questionnaire, talk to people, you know, kind of stalk them and see where they go on holiday, see what their interests are, see perhaps and figure out what it is that they're struggling with. Yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, it's it's really about talking to people because I know for myself, it's like, oh, I really want to do a retreat in Bora Bora. Okay, I've never been to but the you know the, the photos look stunning it's it's volcanic it's like it's got crystal clear pristine waters it's like I want to go there it's like well you know for me to just set up a, a week-long retreat and invest my money in deposits and, and things like that it's not a very clever smart thing to do purely because I haven't spoken to my tribe about it you know maybe Bora Bora is way too far for them to travel maybe um, you know the time of year doesn't suit them maybe it's not in their price bracket you know, maybe the volcanic island doesn't really speak to them. Um, and so I think first and foremost, you really got to do your research and figure out where, where they want to go and where can you find that, that meeting ground of like, okay, you know, you like Bali, I like Bali. Let's go to Bali. <laughs> um, it's funny because what I've noticed is that a lot of times, especially until you have a quite large audience online, really, you don't need a crazy promotion strategy. You just need to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And, which is basically what you said, like you need to talk to your people and see, are they interested in this? And I think people have, there's like hesitation around doing that. It seems scary, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, have you ever encountered that with people that you've worked with or in yourself, like this resistance of, you know, not wanting to ask basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess by asking something, we can appear to be vulnerable and we can appear to not know all the answers. And in truth, we don't know all the answers and it's okay to be, to be vulnerable. It's fine to feel that hesitation of, you know, wanting to share a little bit of insight into, oh, I'm thinking of doing a retreat here. Would you like to come? Or have you ever been there? Or have you thought about going? Or really doing a little bit of research yourself and looking at, okay, so if I, if I do take a group to, I don't know, Bora Bora, for example, what are the activities and the excursions that we can do there? And who would resonate with that? Who would feel the call to come? Who wants to do the diving and maybe go kayaking and maybe go hiking? Because that in itself, that package isn't necessarily going to suit everyone. So, of course, it can be scary because they can turn around and, you know, and, and maybe slam you for, for asking such a <laughs> an out there kind of crazy question. But, you know, they're, they're not going to. You know, it's just about having that conversation and um, opening up that dialogue with people that, you know, perhaps you, you want to spend some time with or that have expressed interest in coming with you. Absolutely. Well, I hope that inspires some people out there listening to take the plunge and actually run run a retreat so we can start seeing some more of those in the community, because I know that's a big a big dream for many people. Um, mm-hmm. Delamay, I really want to talk as we're getting, you know, towards the end of our interview about your lifestyle and traveling and following the sun. I love this idea of not having winter. (laughs) Being from New Hampshire, I'm very used to winter. So I love that, that you're just in perpetual summer. Um, Mm. How long have you been doing that? I'm curious how you made that transition. Yeah, well, I was, um, I'm born and raised in Byron Bay, Australia. And I had the opportunity to travel to Europe when I was like 19 or so. And 
I jumped at the chance. You know, it's at the opposite side of the world. It's like full of culture and, and richness and undiscovered mysteries that I was always really curious about. And so I went for it. And then I ended up actually living in the UK for 11 years. And, you know, I'd done a little bit of travel during that time being, you know, you could fly two hours and be in Spain or another, some other exotic country. And I, you know, I was, I was teaching dance, I was performing, I was also working in an office. Um, I had a great network of friends and students there. And yeah, myself and my partner, we, we were just kind of, you know, we had spoken about it, um, about, you know, just traveling and trying to figure out how that could come about and how we were able to, you know, continually sustain yourself because, you know, you save up money and then you go away for a chunk of time and then you have to save up money again, you know, and so it's just kind of this backwards step. Yeah, but for us, we wanted to make it like a, I don't think we really realized it at the time, but, you know, we were wanting it to be like a continuation of just, you know, just of our life and how, how we wanted to live that life. And so it all happens, yeah, very, very organically. But for me, my main thing was being from, you know, a, a subtropical climate. I really missed the sun. I really missed the summers. I really missed just the, the, the feeling of, of what summer brings. And, you know, as, as you know, being in the UK, it's, you know, not, the summers aren't necessarily that reliable. <laughs> Yeah, so I, um, yeah, we kind of just made the choice of, you know, let, let's just go for it and let's just see where it takes us. And at that time, I was very fortunate to have friends and connections and networks within the yoga community who had um, studios that were willing to host me, that had, um, you know, retreat centers that needed um, yoga teachers and other student friends that were willing to create events for me to teach at and to be part of and hence the you know the income began to slowly trickle in and so I wasn't necessarily always living from my savings and yeah so it, it was a conscious choice and yeah it, um, over time it really took on a life of its own and now I'm at a point where um, I've got quite a an amazing network of studios that I work with who they have an idea of my schedule and so they know roughly when I'll be around again. And so it's, you know, my, um, my calendar itself is, it's not the same every year, but it's similar. You know, I'm in Europe for June to September time. And then outside of that, I'm either in um, Asia or Australia. Do you have a home base or are you like totally nomadic? Been totally nomadic for nine years now. Awesome. And I guess your husband is nomadic with you then? Yeah, he travels with me like 90% of the time. He works online as well. He's a freelancer, e-learning, graphic design artist, um, photographer. He's all, yeah, he also has some online courses for Tai Chi and Qigong. And yeah, like he'll, you know, for example, I was a resident teacher in Malaysia for six months. And during that time, I had the opportunity you know, to travel to India and to Thailand, etc. Um, but he, you know, he decided to stay in Malaysia. And so when I say we travel together like 90% of the time, he won't necessarily come to all my, you know, one week here, two week there kind of ventures. But yeah, no, I'm very fortunate that we both have work, which enables us to be quite free. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's not like, I mean, when you hear your story about that, you created that. 
right? You set yeah. the intention and then it was able to happen. And so I think yeah. that's because um, we actually, that's, my husband got moved to Hong Kong for work and I was able to go. But that's only mm-hmm. because I've consciously now created this business that makes me location independent. So I just wanted to point that out to people because I know a lot of times people are, you know, I will sometimes, not often, most people are very supportive, but occasionally you get a negative, oh, well, that's nice for you. But actually, mm-hmm. it can be nice for you too. You just, <laughs> you just need to put the intention in in place. And I love that you're both doing that. You know, it's not just for single 20-somethings. You know, I've seen families that are able to travel and be location independent. And obviously you're a couple doing that. So that's awesome. It's really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it is inspiring to hear people, you know, creating or finally crafting out a life which, which really suits them and not being tied down um, but saying that, you know, I do have times of when I, I really do miss, you know, all my books. I would love to shelf, you know, my partner, he's like, he's all about having a tea cupboard one day, you know? So the, the, these little things that householders take for granted, being it, being nomadic and, you know, having the lifestyle that we do, you know, it's not necessarily all fun and games. It's, you know, we, we miss our things, you know, we miss our <laughs> it's a trade-off. And I think, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be forever. Like we, my husband and I look at our lifestyle as, you know, we're here, we're doing this for now, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean we're going to do it forever. And at some point in our lives, yeah. we might decide, you know, we'll decide we want something else and then that'll be fine. So I think it's, you know, it's trade-offs. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And the grass is always greener. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Oh, Delamay, it's been fantastic talking to you. So why don't you tell everybody, I know you've got your mentorship going on, you've got retreats, mm-hmm. you've got loads of things going on. So tell people like where they can get in touch with you and and yeah, how they can learn more and work with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all the details are on my website, delamaydavy.com. And then of course, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the social media platforms. And yeah, I love to hear from people and to connect and yeah, to really... Um, expand you know my own network with like-minded inspirational individuals awesome thank you so much for being here Mm, my pleasure thank you amanda for your work in the world thanks so much for listening to this episode of the wellpreneur podcast As always, you can find the links we talked about in the show notes, and you can sign up for my email list over at wellpreneuronline.com. And don't forget to come join us in the Wellpreneur community group on Facebook so we can talk about this week's episode and answer any questions you have about growing your own wellness business. That's it for me this week. Have a fantastic week, and I will see you back here in the next episode. Mm -hmm.